But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. Episode 289, the second episode of our 2023 Australian Open coverage. We don't often do this, where we're positioning ourselves to do four slam episodes. Who knows, maybe there'll be five. (laughs) Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're trying for four. There's a lot to cover because the first five episodes of Breakpoint from Netflix came out. Uh, So we'll kind of be telling you the big stories of the first four days four days of the australian open right yes i get always get confused because it starts on sunday night for our time zone so you're saying you're you watched breakpoint uh unfortunately you told me protested you told me that i had to because this is my job Mm -hmm. we watched we've seen the first three episodes so we're gonna sort of space out the the breakpoint coverage yeah, so our next episode, we'll get the the last two that have been released, episodes mm-hmm. four and five, which, from what I've been told, is easily the best of the lot. Because it sure wasn't episode well, one. It, there's nowhere to go but up. I can't believe you are out here looking for screeners in the mail. Well, I, you know, I, I was <laughs> noticing, of course, it's totally normal that journalists get advanced uh, uh, screeners mm-hmm. of anything. Uh-huh. I, I was of two minds because it sort of it bolstered my like we're still independent mm-hmm. we are still indie because nobody's sending these to us but also not all of the folks who got the screeners were uh, journalists I don't think that was a strict criteria obviously it's about promoting the thing okay I was just really shocked when you brought that to me that did not even cross my mind it just it sort of made me laugh and made me a little bit like proud at all our uh, alternative status i guess and also i have been saying for months that i don't want to watch it so yeah maybe if anybody listed they were like well fuck you too also what are the chances that it would get a favorable review hey any press is good press Mm. so at the end of the show we'll talk about those three episodes But to start, there's this Netflix curse thing that's happening that I tried to ignore for so long. But it seems like there may be something to it. Because eight of the ten players who were featured in the first five episodes of this series are not in the tournament anymore. After two rounds. A few of them had to withdraw ahead of the tournament. And some really big losses have happened in the first two rounds, I guess most notably, Taylor Fritz last night? Well, Casper Ruud is the number two seed, and he lost last night to a, a player who I feel was more, the upset was more predictable than Taylor's. A few of these players were expected to go far, like Taylor, uh, like Nick, like possibly Ange Jabour. Others, maybe you just didn't pick the right players for the documentary. I'm not even putting the Nasi in the curse category because I think he had a good tournament. He's not expected to reach the quarters of the semis. This is not being shady. I'm saying 
he didn't he didn't fall into any curse. Right. But had he won that match against Andy Murray, being two sets up, and then 5-2 in the third, and then you know that the winner of that match is going to have an incredible chance to make the semifinals. Because of these eight men that are remaining in this last quarter of the draw, Popperin, Shelton, Wolf, Moe, Andy Murray, RBA, Tommy Paul, and Brooksby Swanson Jensen... Flopsom, Jetson, <laughs> one of those eight is going to make the semifinals. And that is a huge opportunity. It is. So it is. in that way, I say, blowing that lead, you are cursed. Okay. He also wasn't able to defend his doubles title because Nick Kyrgios pulled out with an injury. So yeah, it was it was unfortunate. But I, you know, Kokonakis plays well in Australia and then you don't like hear a lot from him for the rest of the year, he did play well in front of his home crowd. However, he did give up a two-set and break lead to Andy Murray. Some of the standouts through two rounds of this tournament, Nuria Parisas Diaz into the third round. She made the third round last year as well. But I went and looked up this, this woman's history because we first learned of her. And uh, shame on us for not knowing more about this woman before then. But in Toronto last year when mm-hmm. Serena Williams beat her. And we watched that match. And I remember folks being apoplectic. Is that how you say it? Ap- apoplectic. I never really know. Folks being apoplectic. That mm-hmm. sounded better. <laughs> about Serena not being able to just destroy this woman. Right. But that didn't gel with what I was seeing live. I saw a woman who was playing really well. And so I'm happy to see her have this result. At the age of 24, apparently, according to Wikipedia, if this is a trusted source, she was told by doctors that she'd probably have to retire because of injuries. And she took years off, came back in 2019, I believe, won a whole bunch of ITF tournaments, got up to a top 50 career high last year, and now she beat two of, I would say, the favorites to at least make the second week. Haddad Maya, and remind me? Potapovo. Yes. Both in straight sets. So kudos to her. I think I picked Haddad Maya reaching the semis, so... <laughs> Hilarious. Nice job, Nuria. Katie Volinets. There's no pronunciation on her WTA page, so uh, I hope that's how it's pronounced. From Northern California, defeated the number nine seed, Veronica Kudamertova. I'm pretty sure I picked her to make the semis. Oh, dear. Kudamertova. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. But then also, Julin has made the third round as well. And if you recall, in Auckland, Venus Williams beat Volinets in straight sets, 7 6 6 And in that match, it didn't even really look that close, if I'm being honest. And Venus had every chance to beat Julin in the second round. These Both these women are now into the third round with big wins under their name, which makes me rue even further the injury that Venus picked up in Auckland not being able to play this tournament. Yeah. So what we're saying is that Venus is currently better than Kudermatova. <laughs> right? Uh, well, you put this on here as one of the standouts through round two, so you, you well, go right ahead. It must be said, it must be said that Brooksby Swanson is one of the standouts of the first few days. His match against Kasper Ruud was... Dire. It was dire, but it was a very impressive performance. He is 
when you watch him, it's like, well, what does he do well? You know, his game looks weird. His backhand is not cute. He places the ball and he reads where it's going incredibly mm-hmm. well. Like, yeah. that, that's just it. Like, the dude is talented. It's difficult to uh, to sort of teach that, I, I would think. The dude is talented. Do I enjoy watching him play? That is a huge no. Oh, agreed. But, you know, credit where it's due, taking out Casper Ruud. You were beside yourself just trying to understand why nobody would tell this man that he had extraneous food matter on his teeth because you thought he had busted his tooth. Yes, his. it looked like he had cracked or chipped his tooth, maybe lost a cap on his one of his front teeth. Everybody wanted to know what is going on with Jensen. Jensen? That's his name. Jensen. His tooth. And the commentators didn't seem to know or care. Uh, I just can't believe Casper Ruud lost to somebody with so much food on their teeth that it looked like he was missing a tooth. You explained on Twitter today that maybe he's just a voracious eater. (laughs) In close-up photos, it appears that there is some food matter stuck on his front tooth. And I just wonder, why is the umpire there if not to tell Jensen to fix his teeth? <laughs> For some other things, too, but... Wow. You know, be a pal. Ben Shelton. Like, this dude is just going to be so good. Mm-hmm. It's so clear to me. Barring injury and with good health, uh, America, America, the United States, may finally have, like, a superstar... On the men's side. Mm-hmm. No who disrespect you? to Francis Tiafo, who may still get there, but for somebody at his age to be playing and winning quite comfortably in that second round match. First time in Australia. Apparently first time overseas. Oh. Uh, that augurs well for his career. People seem to absolutely love him everywhere he goes as well. But... It's exciting. Francis is here. His game is improved and a lot more consistent, a lot more reliable. And as long as they're not January Sixers, the American guys have a few cool players to root for. A few. A few. You named two. I like Maxime Cressy. Okay. Uh, Who else? Mackie. I like Mackie. Michael Moe in the third round for the first time at any major. Well, this is one of the stats that we're getting. Something like... 14 Americans into the third round of the Australian Open for the first time since 1996. We get these stats every year, right? This is actually a a decent stat. It is, actually. And although I'm American, I don't really care that much, to be honest. But I like these (laughs) particular guys. This is not of interest to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're one to complain when things don't... False. um, Me? Sorry. False. When things don't suit or rise to your standards. And uh, take it away. Yeah, let me just quetch for a moment. The Australian Open app has been very poor. You would look up the scores and it would show you the set score, but not the ongoing game score, which is wild. It wouldn't show you who was serving. It has all of these advanced stats and, and graphics available. Often they weren't working or they weren't loading properly. It's hosted by Infosys. Did you remember? Made that joke about Info, comma, sis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. And when it works, it's actually very nice to look at. But I find myself going back to the old Tennis 24 app, which it has the most basic user interface because it works. I just wonder, like, what happened? 
slams have had great apps before. Where did they go? Go back to IBM. I don't like. I don't get it. And the other complaint is that the Australian Open doesn't have PDF draws. When you go into their printable draws, they're horrible, illegible, in the wrong direction. I tried to print them today. You need a magnifying glass to read the names. So those are that's a- it. That's a- all. Anything else? Nope. That's all. And I would like to thank uh, Fog Mount, who always has copies of readable PDF draws. So thank you very much. That's where we got ours. I think you lied because About the it. next item on the agenda is a complaint. Well, I, okay, I did write this, but this is not my complaint. This is just an observation of the first few weeks. Okay. Or for first few days of the tournament. For I can't remember a time when rain has played such a factor in the first few days of the Australian Open. Maybe right. I'm just advanced in years now and the, the brain doesn't work as well. But there was a lot of backlog with the matches. And with that, as always, comes scheduling issues. Inequities, even. The show courts, several of their courts at the Australian Open have roofs. So the top players get to continue their matches. The top seeds get to play during the rain. And the lower seeds or the no seeds are the ones who have to wait. What the issue is here is that when you reschedule matches, first rounders should be prioritized. Right? So in a lot of cases, you had top players playing their second round match scheduled before somebody's first round. Yes. That's patently unfair. At one point, I was like, how did I miss an opportunity to root against John Isner? Because <laughs> it's like, this is day, what, day three or something? And, well, I didn't see him play his first match, but he was only playing his first round match at that time. Yeah. Spoiler, he lost. He did. But the fact that you have second rounds playing on the day session and you're pushing already delayed first round matches into the evening and night is wild. And it's another inequitable thing in an already very unequal sport. And then the other thing that's come to the fore is the late night matches. Honestly, why would you schedule... Andy Murray and Thanasi Kokinakis for when you did last night. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. They played over five hours, almost six hours of tennis last night. I went to bed when it was, I think, 4-2 Kokinakis in the first set, which was an ungodly hour for me. It was, because when I woke up, I think they were barely in the third set. I worked all morning, and it didn't finish until like around lunchtime here. It was scheduled for 10 p.m. Well, it wasn't. I mean, they went on court around 10 p.m. in Australia. And this is Andy Murray. He had already played almost five hours against Berrettini. This is what everybody was saying, a very winnable match. I was being a lot more cautious because of how much energy he expended against Berrettini and the kind of crowd push that Koganakis gets. And the people who lead tennis have some competing priorities here, right? Because... This type of match brings a lot of attention and excitement, and fans love it. We know the pull that the British market has in tennis. Mm -hmm. That's part of the appeal, too, right? This match, starting at, say, 6 a.m. my time, is like, what, 11 a.m., 12 p.m. in the U.K.? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas if you do it, like, mid-afternoon, it becomes like a super early morning match. Right. And if it's day session in Australia, the Brits are sleeping through it. Yeah. 
So obviously there's a lot of engagement online and in the press when a match is so long and so exciting like this and Andy Murray pulls it out. So they have an interest to keep creating these scenarios. But at the same time, it is really, really bad for players. And it's incredibly unfair if you're the winning player who's finished at 5, 6 a.m. You still have to do your ice bath. You got to do press, take a shower. It takes hours to get out of the out of the stadium and go home. Andy is into the third round and he's part of this section where one of these lesser thans, I guess you could uncharitably say, will will make the semifinals. And if a fresher Andy Murray were in this third round match against RBA, you'd think he has a decent shot to f- have this huge re-breakout, re-emergence at a, at a slam that he hasn't had since all those hip issues. Mm-hmm. But 10 and a half hours on court and the prospect of RBA in the third round, it just right. does not look feasible. It's been a while since we've inducted somebody into the Body Serve Hall of Fame. And honestly, I don't remember who all is in there. I know Joe Wilfred Sango was in the Hall of Shame. He served mm-hmm. a suspension. He, but he's since come out of it. He was, a, he was banned for many months. Oh, remember? Um, somebody beat Vandaway Mag- somewhere. Rabarakova. Yes. She was the first inductee mm-hmm. because at she the beat time, Coco. people were predicting that Coco was going to be the next big thing. She was going to win Wimbledon, and we were not fans. Probably weren't very nice about it, but there we are. Mm-hmm. But we're not. We're about to be very unnice about another thing. But this person truly deserves it. Miss Vandeweghe made her way through qualifying in Australia, but lost. Mm-hmm. So she's back, back on the circuit. My point in saying this, I don't quite remember who all is in there. I know there's a couple, maybe even a handful. So long-term, long-time listeners, could you hit us up? With who those people are, if you remember. This is something we should have kept a better handle on, to be honest. Yeah, I I see people downloading old, old episodes, so I know somebody is listening to these. And right now we're only prepared to induct one. I said publicly, I think on Twitter before the tournament, that there is another potential induction coming, but that's in the fourth round, should Arena Sabalenka win that match. Against? Oh... Belinda Bancic? Correct. But for now, it's Michael Moe, who took out that guy last night. Well, there are actually two, to be very clear. Michael Moe <laughs> and the bird who shit on Zverev's head. A bird took a shit on that shit's head. That bird said, well, if the ATP's not going to do anything, I will. <laughs> and I'm told, because I didn't watch this part in real time... I must have tuned in too late, but I'm told reliably by a listener that he didn't even rinse his hands. He noticed something in his head and he ruffled around in there and then realized, whoops, that's what's going on. And then just went about his business playing in filth. Well, you know, I did say I wished him the Grand Slam tournament he deserved and he got it. It was dire. Like I, this dude's game is in the trenches the second serve is a mess still. There is there are few greater sights in all of tennis than that guy's spectacular double falls. Mm-hmm. I sh- I think just as a collective, as a sport, we've we've moved on. The game is just horrible to watch as well. 
<laughs> anything else? If you're a fan of this guy and you're still listening to us, bless you. No, actually not. Fair. <laughs> but on on the positive side, the inductee Michael Moe, who for years has been in challengers, ITFs, trying to make it on the big stage. This is his very first time in a Grand Slam third round. He lost in the final round of qualifying, had booked a flight, and less than two days later, he's in the first round, winning. Coming back from two sets down to win, a match that was delayed with him leading a break in the fifth set, had to come back the next day, and then today, last night, doing this. I mean, now he's going to be ranked just outside the top 80, and that's not even if he continues winning. He'll go even higher. Huge moment for him in his career. That guy barely beat a lucky loser in the first round, could not beat a lucky loser in the second round. Absolutely sick that the ATP socials are still promoting him like we're supposed to celebrate it when they know, <laughs> they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the reason is for that. Is it just abject negligence, um, which is what we've come to well, expect? Or is there something else going on? Like, is Are they actually doing an investigation and finding things that they're not prepared to deal with? Well, that's clearly what the people on Twitter want to know. It's also probably just very good crisis PR. He has mm. important people behind him. Rafael Nadal gets through his first round match against Jack... Um, Jack Draper. 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 Jack Draper. Gets to his second round against Mackie McDonald, and Mackie is firing from game one. His game was on. He's hitting flat. He was, uh, surprisingly, really punishing Rafa's forehand, going to it very frequently. Well, that's the Djokovic playbook, right? He, mm-hmm. he went to the Djokovic playbook, and he executed well. Right, and that's the, the Agassi philosophy, break down your opponent's best shot. And he did. And throughout the first two sets, Rafa was having a lot of difficulty establishing any rhythm or any consistency and was hitting more errors than we're used to. He didn't look uh, extremely hampered by injury. However, Chris Fowler said after the match that it was kind of known that he was carrying a hip issue into the match that people knew. Well, isn't that good for you, Chris Fowler? So many injuries that people on site and journalists do know about that don't talk about because Mm. players are perpetually injured. At some point toward the end of the second set, Rafa pulls up and it becomes clear that this is going to be a big problem. Mm. At first, you wonder, is this a recurrence of the foot issue that we were told should have uh, been put at bay for about two years? Right. And so if that were re-emerging, that would probably be curtains for the career. Well, never say never. So in, in a sense, luckily, it's a hip issue that doesn't require surgery. It requires physical therapy and rest. But Nadal will be out for six to eight weeks. Yeah, it's, you know, that's not great. He, inj- he has a grade two injury of the iliopsoas, which is... Uh, a muscle group toward the top of the hip. But like you said, there's no surgery, but he will just have to stay off it, take anti-inflammatories. Listen, he has an Indian Wells final to defend in less than two months. He's got uh, the Acapulco title. 
And then we're into clay really quickly. I mentioned on the preview episode to the season that one of the things to look forward to or to look out for in 2023 was Rafa's streak in the top 10. That he hadn't left the top 10 since spring 2005. Which is by a very long shot the record. Something like what? Over 900 weeks? Something absurd. Something like that. But given the way his points had been accumulated in 2022 and the fact that he wasn't in good form, that the streak was probably in jeopardy. And now with this injury, it's tough to see him extending it much longer. Right. Now, he could fall out briefly and go right back in. Yes. If he makes a recovery. If he's healthy the rest of the season, I expect him to be top 10 again. Right. Easily. Because as much as Rafa is losing to these guys at United Cup, struggling in bits toward the latter half of last year, struggling against Jack Draper, Mackie McDonald, taking it to him, this is a function of injury. This is not a function of the current state of Nadal's game. And I think he knows that. Right. And at some point, your game is better than your body. Right, What you feel you can do is better than what you can do. And he'll turn 37 uh, in June, I believe. Mm-hmm. And sometimes your body just says you have to stop. But Rafa likes to play, even when it's hard like this. I wanted to sort of pull something out of his press conference that I really liked, because we always talk about sacrifice with athletes and how much they sacrifice to play at this level and what they put their bodies through. And I feel he kind of gently corrected the narrative there, the cliche. And he said, well, you call it a sacrifice, but I like to do this and I'm choosing to do this. And every day when I get up, I've made the choice. For me, like extrapolating that further, it's like I made the choice not to be at home, you know, with my wife. Like these are difficult choices, but they're ones that I made. So sacrifice, I think, puts like a mythic cast on the choices of a, of a great athlete. When it's really like, this is a human with a normal life who's made decisions that are sometimes rather selfish uh, because they love to play this game. Mm-hmm. Again, though, we see an instance where an athlete is pushing their bodies to the limit when they probably shouldn't. And how much of a factor in them choosing to do that is this narrative, this discourse, this celebration of the warrior athlete. Right. The ones who put pain above their personal interest. The valorizing of suffering. And Rafa has done a lot of that and a lot of philosophizing on it. And as people who will never be top athletes, we will never understand that drive, mm. to be sure. But these people are human adults who have families and are going to have lives after the sport ends and you know you you have to think about what your quality of life is going to be afterward andy murray playing ten and a half hours to have this this moment where he likely will lose in the third round but the glory you never know yes sure fine but the glory (laughs) of a third round at the australian open putting your body under that stress and for what? Long term. Well, these I, are the dis- these are the decisions that athletes have to make. That yeah, we yeah. don't. Right. I can imagine it's very addictive because, you know, I can tell you, you can go at any time. Like you're in the history books, regardless. Nothing is changing that. But you clearly want to do this, and who's going to stop you? Um, I was just th- I was 
interested in the way that Rafa phrased that because mm-hmm. he took kind of the selflessness out of how people talk about sacrifice. Well, because the sacrifices often come from family members. Of course, yeah. <laughs> to make it happen for these athletes. Mm-hmm. But I also want to talk to mention too that I think we are seeing somewhat of a shift in the way people talk about this stuff. I, f- yes. I see a lot more people coming on board to the, uh, like, dude, just stop. You're hurt, stop, take the time off, don't make it worse, come back when you're ready. Mm-hmm. It's not that deep. And there are people who think that's like millennial snowflake bullshit. Right. And <laughs> and we're just silly. We're, you know, we're going to be a generation of people who don't achieve. Listen, I don't think that's true. It definitely is a generational thing. Mm-hmm. There was some older dude on TV last night. Which match was it? It was Brooksby. It was Brooksby against Casper. And there was a, what, 13 or 14 minute break after the third set, after Casper won the third set. And this dude just kept going on and on about this is ridiculous, shouldn't take that long to change your clothes. Like the heat break? Why aren't you just changing your shirt and your socks on court? Like, do you need to change the whole thing? Back in my day, can you imagine boxers, heavyweight championship boxers looking at this, what they'd think? Mm-hmm. In a, you mean the people with traumatic brain injuries right, died yeah. at like age 50? I mean, so I do think there's a generational hyper-masculine factor here yeah, that is still rampant in the sport. We are dealing with extreme heat in Australia. Players playing for hours on end. What material difference does 10 minutes make if both players are on board with it? Just sit there and shut up. If you are incapable of coming up with something more interesting to fill the dead air, that's on you, boo. And we can replace you. You want that job? Find somebody better. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I could do that job, but he couldn't do Casper Root's job. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it might take you a few weeks, a few tournaments to get your feet wet, but like, (laughs) I'm sure you'd be very good at it. (laughs) So uh, that guy told the press that Rafa was going to retire at Roland Garros. Rafa was asked about that and basically said, I don't know him like that, and he certainly doesn't know me like that. The nerve. What, who asked you? The audacity. Of all people. The gall. Right. So this, I only mentioned this because a lot of commentators are very eager to say, this was his last Australian Open. We may never see him again. You don't know anything jack and that may be like that may be true but why like just when it happens it will happen why do you need to continually prep us for like five years it's incessant everything about rafa now until he retires we saw it with serena we see it we've seen it for a decade with venus at the very least at the very least like do you ever get tired it's as if every single one of these commentators and journalists want to be the one to say, I got that retirement moment. Right. Because whatever happens, it will not be you who got the scoop. Am I the one to call the end? Is it the end? Feels like the end. If it's not the end, could it be the start of the end? When is the end? Let's do some dramatic camera shot. Is it the end yet? I've been training for this all my life. Am I the one to call the end? So they can play your voice on some documentary? Right, you're or... chasing Tiger Woods making a 20-foot putt on the 72nd hole to win the Masters, and it's your voice. <laughs> you want to be Dick Enberg. You want to, you know? Right. 
They're probably going to change your voice to somebody else's in post anyway. Oh, They're snap. just going to have someone read the copy. Mm-hmm. Or they just wrote. recreate the timeline. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about Taylor uh, and then move into some of the more lighthearted Camila George. Which Taylor? Swift? Fritz or Townsend? Townsend. Okay. Taylor Townsend, first of all, won both Adelaide doubles titles, number one and number two. The first one with Asia Muhammad. They beat the number one seeds, Siniakova and Sanders, right? Yeah, Storm. Storm? No, Hunter. Hunter. She's now Storm Hunter. Oh, my God. Storm Hunter. Like the people who chased tornadoes. Yes, mm-hmm, those okay. people. And then she won the second with Louisa Stefani. She's playing with Asia Muhammad in women's doubles here. They're the number 12 seeds. And all my energy is behind Taylor because everything she does lately, I just adore. Gets to the second round here. Plays a really tough match against Alexandrova. Blitzes are in the first set. Taylor's backhand looks gorgeous. Is like pinpoint accuracy. She's got such soft hands at the net. She has great anticipation moving forward. Everything was just working beautifully. But Alexandrova has a massive game. A huge ground game. And it finally started working. So it was a very enjoyable match. Some of the most fun I've had for these first few days. But Taylor did end up going out. She gave a very illuminating press conference after her first round singles match about what it's like to be a mom on tour. And uh, I always appreciate that Taylor is willing to talk about money. Mm -hmm. And she's always been like that. I remember years ago you would talk about uh, how she was always defending the choices she made about which tournaments to play and staying close to home. And she said in this press conference, I don't have Serena's bank account. When I travel, I have to make it worth it. When I leave my baby, which is a massive sacrifice, when I leave my baby in the U.S. and come to Australia, like, I'm working. And I need to make money. And so I just appreciated that honesty because you don't often hear it in sport. And this is a a player who's been top 100 in the world and does not have that financial security. Right. Whereas in another sport, she might be super rich. In golf, she sure would be. Mm-hmm. The top seven to two thousand players in golf are millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we talk about Camila Georgie, who had to face the music about this vaccine story for just an excruciating five entire minutes? Mm-hmm. Uh, Papa Georgie was just beside himself in the back of that press room. I cannot believe it. The Bless the WTA comms person who attempted to open the press conference with the question about tennis. She that's, tri- how they, that's how they all start. She tried. She really tried. But every single question was about the vaccine story, as it should be. I don't, I don't want to see, oh, nobody's asking about her game. Why would anyone ask about her game when she might be going to jail on a vaccine issue? Like, What's more interesting here? A first round win or like criminal charges? Are you in the country legally? (laughs) (laughs) Which was uh, obliquely asked, not directly. Will you be able to travel to every country the rest of the season? How does that affect your schedule? Like, there are a lot of follow-on domino effects to this whole situation. 64 women win first rounds. One woman is under investigation for faking a vaccine. (laughs) That's what you ask about. It's not dog bites the man, it's the man bites the dog. Do you remember that from Intro to Journalism? No. 
I've put that way yeah. into my mind. Man biting dog is news. Mm. The inverse is not. Gotcha. Got it. <laughs> Basic stuff. Camila is so unintentionally funny. I wish we could do a reading of this entire press conference, but I just, I don't think my Italian accent is good enough. <laughs> she says, the doctor is being investigated and she had trouble this year with the law a few times. I just did all my vaccination in different places. Um, so the trouble is her, is not me. So with that, I'm very calm. And of course, if not, I couldn't come here and play this tennis, I think. Well, do you know? Or do you think? <laughs> she said, one of the reporters asked, have you sought clarity on whether the vaccine that she administered to you was real? And then she said, so you had an extra one to make up for it just in case? And Camila responds, I did the vaccination. Thank you. And smiled and turned to the next person. I mean, she is just on another planet she exists in her own world that's for sure the tennis is looking very good so far into the third round <laughs> i she seems like someone who will be buoyed by bad press i i honestly don't know if she cares about any of the press i know i don't good think she or does. bad one of the reporters did say like the doctor is alleging that you came to the doctor specifically in search of a fake vaccination. What do you have to say about that? And she said, I have my vaccinations, period. Thank you. And then someone said, was it specifically the COVID vaccine that she got or that you got? She didn't really understand the question and made no attempt to answer it. Well, as far as she's concerned, it's been answered. <laughs> Before we continue with the agenda, I feel like we need to circle back to this Netflix thing and the people who have lost. Like the sheer okay. ridiculousness of it. Because it's not just that eight of the ten are gone. The two that remain also could be gone. Hey, watch your mouth about Felix. Felix lost the first set in his first match, then was down two sets to love in his second match. Yeah, I don't know. Pulled what it out hell, in five. What the hell he's doing. And then Maria Sakari, in her second match, she was fighting for her life. Ooh, and she was mad, so mad at that lady with the Amish head wrap. <laughs> Dinah Schneider or Schneider, I'm not quite sure yeah. how it's pronounced. But Sakari had to come back in that second set from being down a set, winning that 7 5 and then 6 3 in the third. And then Matteo Berrettini against Andy Murray loses the first two sets, comes back all the way in the fifth set to having a match point on his horrible backhand. And it, it honestly was one of the biggest match point chokes I've ever seen in my life. Really? Andy Murray was a sitting duck in the middle of the court in between the service line and the net. And Matteo dumped that backhand almost into the bottom of the net. Mm -hmm. How different the tournament could look if that hadn't been the case. Right. And we didn't really even mention that there were three withdrawals from that group even before the tournament started. Bedosa, Tomlanovic, and Nikurios. Mm -hmm. Kyrgios, who fancied himself explicitly stating that he was one of the favorites for the title. Even going as far as saying, if I win this singles title, I might retire. 
And who said you were going to win? Now that he's out, he's commentating on this quarter, this <laughs> the one that will face Djokovic, supposedly, expectedly, to say that it looks like a 250. Like, it's so rude because these guys have gotten big wins over big-time players, and they're still here. And there's Where no guarantee he would have won even right. one match at this tournament. Where are you? It's such nasty behavior. It's just, it's attention-seeking, and we're giving him that attention, so... Novak Djokovic, last night, was in a spot of bother against Enzo Cuoco in the second round. Loses a second set, 7-6. And in that second set, toward the end of it, we see what we've been told. That Djokovic has a hamstring issue. He, t- he goes off court, gets it retaped, rewrapped, gets some meds or what have you, and comes back and wins the next two sets pretty easily. But going forward, he's got a fresh Grigor Dimitrov in the third round who took 94 minutes to blitz through his second round match. Yeah. Of the top 32, I would say Grigor is among the players I would not trust. To pull off an upset. Um, <laughs> that is true. But if this is a situation where Novak, even if he gets through Grigor, has to play four four sets there, has to play five in his next round, it becomes a much more difficult proposition and not as foregone a conclusion as I kind of still expect it to be at this tournament right. for him. This hamstring is a real thing. Playing on it is not going to make it better. Djokovic is somebody who could overcome that kind of injury and still win by sheer force of will, by aggression, by shortening points, which was has been the approach so far. Mm-hmm. But it will be something to watch if another player can snatch this from him. Truly, though, nobody plays hardcore tennis like Novak Djokovic. No. And when he's in this mode of strike first, I need to get this done as quickly as possible and I'm going to be as aggressive as I need to be, nobody's hitting the ball as deep with as much precision, with as much pace, the combination of all that stuff, it's video game tennis when he's on, even when he's injured. Yes. Like, it's crazy. So now the question is, can you do that for uh, 15 more sets? We have a suggestion here from your parents. <laughs> well, we just came back from Rochester, where we did our, one of our Christmas celebrations. Mm-hmm. which Our belated Christmas. Were delayed because of our, you know, introduction to Miss COVID. Over the holidays. And while talking about tennis, they had a suggestion. They recommended that umpires need to start cussing out the players. Which I I think many of us would love to see. <laughs> but this is the recommendation of a casual fan and viewer. Mm-hmm, but people who grew up around the days of the Connors and the McEnroes. Oh yeah. Who lived through all that and now... In retirement, have to live through this shit again. (laughs) In order to watch a tennis match. The constant verbal and in some cases physical assaults on tennis officials. Yes. And umpires are expected to maintain the highest level of decorum in all situations. Which is their job, but they need to be protected. Yeah, and sometimes cussing people out might be warranted. Yes. This story. Jeremy Chardin. I thought he was retired. I didn't I didn't even really know what was going on. And he shows up in Melbourne and the headlines are 
Jim Shardy is back after being up for 18 months because of the COVID vaccine and complications from that. And I'm like, excuse me, what? Uh, and then I click on one of those articles and it says, well, he had COVID and then he took the vaccines and then that right. was what messed him up. So he claims that it's an adverse reaction to the vaccine, but this happens very often where people also had COVID, sometimes multiple times. COVID is a disease that ravages your immune system going forward. Long COVID is a thing. How do you know that it was the vaccine? Uh, reporting on this is very weird. Because yeah. you just like take the person at the yeah. It's like, oh, oh, they had an adverse reaction. What did your doctor say? Well, like, Can to, we get a quote from them? What was the mechanism? Like what was what specifically about the vaccine caused this reaction? It anyway, I'm not feeling very sympathetic to Shardy because of how he behaved toward the umpire yesterday. Mm. I mean, anyone, anyone and their mother, just not the mother, Serena Williams, is allowed to call an umpire a liar to their face, an idiot, useless at their job. You can say, I mean, you really can say anything you want to an umpire. Especially if you're a man. Oh, yeah. Especially. A couple of high profile retirements will happen at this Australian Open. Sam Stozer who, after retiring from singles, continued to do a fair bit of winning on the double circuit, says that this will be her final professional event. Fortunately, she's already out in women's doubles, but she's still got mixed doubles to play with Matt Ebden. And Matt Ebden is a, a current holder of a Grand Slam title, so it's a pretty good partner. The other is Sanya Mirza. She will be retiring as well after this tournament. She's currently in women's doubles and mixed doubles. She won her first women's doubles match. And uh, who knows? This is one of the preeminent doubles players of the last 15 years. Oh, yeah. Remember when her and Martina Hingis partnered back in the mid, what, 2010s? Mm -hmm. And had all that success? We'll talk a bit more about Sonia's career uh, after we see what happens at the Australian Open. But, it, you know, she's a surefire Hall of Fame pick. We didn't mention at the top of the episode, uh, the GoFundMe is still open. We have crossed our goal, and we're obviously very excited about that and very grateful. We're leaving it open, as we always said, through the end of the Australian Open, not really promoting it because we don't want to be obnoxious after reaching the goal. However, I will say the goal was very arbitrary. We just mm -hmm. picked a number. Other people would have <laughs> moved the goal after they crossed the goal. Right. We've never shifted our goals. We just allow you to keep contributing. If you feel... That it's warranted. If maybe you were waiting for this time because we told you from the jump that it was going to be open till the end of the Australian Open. If you are one of those folks who is who are still waiting, you still got time. Shall we delve into the breakpoint review of the first three episodes? Let's. Let me start by saying that I was predisposed not to like it. I'm just going to put that caveat out there know that my review is biased. I I was complaining about it even before it happened because I was anticipating the kind of stories and fabrications that were going to come out of it, mm -hmm. which very much came true, by the way. But my review is tainted by that. I don't think you had to give that disclaimer unless it's a person well, listening to the show for the first time exactly. because everybody else knows where you're at. Right. One of the themes of the reviews and the discussion is that it seems to be a very different experience for people who watch tennis 
versus people who are not really fans of tennis. Uh, the The responses tend to be middling to negative for tennis folks and positive for people who don't watch the sport. Right, but you have to understand what the purpose of this is. Well, what is the purpose? Netflix's purpose is to gain new users. Yes, under the guise of looking for the the next generation of tennis stars. That was the angle that they went with this, whether that was because they approached the top people and they said, no, thank you. And so then they had to wheel and come again. But we've seen that the the byproduct of a show like this with a drive to survive and Formula One is that on a big platform like Net- like Netflix and people are always looking for something else to watch. This type of show can bring new viewers to a sport. Yes, and I hope it does. Genuinely. And so me liking it is immaterial in the long run. I'm still going to critique it, but I went into this not having to like it. Well, yeah. And because... that set me free to appreciate certain bits and not have the fuckery cloud everything. Oh, you you are a better person than me. Off the top, I want to say John Wertheim said something interesting about the Formula One version of this docuseries versus the tennis one. A Formula One saw this massive bump, and you've probably seen it on your Twitter timelines if you're on Twitter. All of a sudden, I saw people talking about the sport that I knew nothing about, athletes I didn't know, it was everywhere. And it experienced a huge bump in the U.S. and other places, but in the U.S., literally nobody knew what it was. Like, I can tell you, I can tell you the same in Canada. Nobody knew what the hell Formula One was, aside from a small group. Nobody knew the stars. And Wertheim says, I don't feel the tennis, the tennis series will experience this massive bump because people know tennis. Mm-hmm. It's just that a lot of people don't watch it. The only people who may not know tennis are really young people. Right. Because older folks grew up with tennis as one of the big television sports in the U.S., Mm -hmm. specifically in the U.S. And so they've been exposed. So I think where the opportunity is is that young people who have really been given crappy access to tennis on broadcast networks and streaming maybe get to see a different aspect of the sport and get to see it played and... Maybe those people will be interested. Well, you don't get to see much of it being played. You don't, no. Episode 1 features Nick Kyrgios and Thanasi Kokonakis. It doesn't really feature Thanasi. It really doesn't, except being his sidekick playing whatever that game was for like five minutes. Being like, yo, sick bro, bro, bro. (laughs) Like they gave us three minutes, more, more of that than tennis the entire episode. What I want to know is, you film all this stuff. Last Australian Open was, it was a banger. Mm -hmm. It was hits upon hits upon hits. We don't get much in the way of Nadal's historic win. We don't get much of Djokovic and what he was doing in Australia last year. It's touched on a bit in episode two. Glossed over, we get like a cute minute and a half. Mm -hmm. But... These folks, these producers, have decided that Nick Kyrgios kissing up and hugging up on his girlfriend for like 5% of this episode is where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, this young woman was new to Nick. Two and a half months. Uh, new to tennis. 
She didn't know anything about tennis, which was very amusing to me. The episode traded in this like tennis brat stereotype that I feel like is it is so well worn. It and is. it's not just the tennis brat, it's the the bad boy who's trying to reform. Who and can't might, really control right, himself. Who can finally grow up. And I mean, this is a trope that you see in all types of media. And it's just, it didn't give us anything new or anything interesting. There was nothing new about it. If you're trying to recruit new people to tennis, give them a new, fresh narrative. Don't tell them that this is how it's always been. Within the first five minutes, they've already established that shitty on-court behavior is a core tenet of tennis. We get yes. flashbacks to McEnroe. We get this. We get that. And then here is a transition into the new piece of shit, Nick Kyrgios. But the difference is that John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors won consistently. Well, damn. No, but we don't need to have, actually have results. Well, they didn't show us that. But The promise of results is enough. And so a larger theme of Breakpoint is that, you know, you start at the beginning of the season and you choose players to follow and you have no idea how they're going to perform. That's normal. You don't have the top players, so you pick people who say yes and who you feel are going to make compelling stories and might win matches. But what you see throughout the first few episodes is that we're retconning some of what actually happened. You know, so you're seeing the narration say that Berrettini is the favorite for the Australian Open now that Djokovic is out. Who was saying that? Daniel Medvedev just smashed Novak's hopes of a calendar year Grand Slam in September, but Berrettini is now, he's the one we're watching. I mean, if you watch tennis, it's lies. And if you don't watch tennis, you have no idea. But instead, you get to focus on Berrettini and his face. And sell his face. And I mean... And sell the fact that there's this love match with Tomlanovic. If you're a filmmaker, and you have this attractive couple, and this drop-dead gorgeous movie star-looking dude who has cute grandparents, I don't blame them for following him. Right, but if you go the route of uh, highlighting the the run to the Australian Open Men's Doubles Championship oh. as the glory moment of episode one, maybe we talk about the fact that there was this big old dust-up after the first match with Mate Pavic and company. They supposedly fought. In the locker room. And that Nick Kyrgios, like, ran away from the scuffle. Mm -hmm. This stuff is actually interesting. Like, this would sell the show and the sport. Instead, you're giving us this insipid, toothless, feckless product. It, I don't, I really don't know what the purpose of the episode was. Yeah, it, like, this was easily 1 out of 10 for me, this episode. It was, it was terrible. It was a rough watch. And then in the middle of it, you have Kyrgios telling us, quote, I've always got such a short fuse. Oh, my. We know. Uh, You know, they could have talked more about... He's talked openly about struggling with mental illness. Any sort of narrative would have worked. And then... (laughs) This is the part that I found most laughable. You know I have been a champion of doubles on this podcast. But to just blanketly advertise it and then have curios present it as well i've won a grand slam when new viewers don't know that distinction no like that's a big misrepresentation episode two gets a little bit better this one is like three and a half out of ten <laughs> episode two starts with protests we actually see 
what's going on on the ground in Australia, precipitated by Novak's presence, attempt to play the Australian Open. And in those two to three minutes, we get this is happening and we get deported. The whole timeline in three minutes. <laughs> right. It did, watching these episodes, it felt like there is something huge going on and we're not really going to talk about it. And by the way, Rafa Nadal won the final and he won. He set the Grand Slam record and he came back from two sets to love down. And that was a big thing, but we're not going to talk about that. Against the actual heavy favorite to win that tournament. Right. When the news breaks, Francis is allegedly in front of the camera with the big spotlight on him about to film a spot. And he checks his phone and he gets the news. And what does he say? (laughs) He says, well, there's one less person to worry about. And laughs. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it's been added to the spreadsheet on the watch list. People hate everything that Francis does, no matter how innocuous. But that was really funny and that was real. One of the things from the first batch of episodes that endured the most was this bedroom, this hotel bedroom scene with Berrettini and Tomljanovic. At this point, Tomljanovic is out of the tournament. She lost to Bedosa. Mm-hmm. Her and Matteo are the featured players in this episode. And they come back to the room. The room is filthy. Filthy. <laughs> like... <laughs> they have a suite. They have a bedroom and kind of a, a living room area. And there's just shit everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, I don't... They're busy. Yeah. And so Isla says to him, what's your schedule for tomorrow? And Mateo says, well, I'm probably going to hit in the afternoon. And she says, well, I'm getting up at 7.45 because I've got a spot on Tennis Channel at 8.15. And when I tell you this dude's head spun around with the swiftness... <laughs> Are you crazy? He did not. He said, well, you can't do that out there. <laughs> he said, one of us is in the Australian Open. Like, oh, damn. Wow, way to rub that in her face. Did he say, like, you're not even in the tournament anymore? No, I think something? he said, I'm still in the Australian Open. Like, damn, she was just crying after her match. Give and her she, a break. <laughs> she says, it's only going to be 10 minutes. And he goes, why don't you go downstairs and ask for a room? And it was just like... Wow. What a moment. It was such an awkward conversation. I mean, it's like, it doesn't, it's not a huge, horrible thing. It was amusing. It was a weird, uncomfortable conversation. And then Netflix totally set up Courtney Nguyen. Because right after that, her audio comes up and says, tennis players are notoriously selfish. (laughs) (laughs) And she probably wasn't even talking about that, right? Like, that was just something she said in one of the interviews. If you could describe tennis players, what are tennis players like? Tennis players are notoriously selfish. We're going to use that. We're going to find a spot for that. I mean, Matteo Berrettini is notorious. No, I can guarantee that many, many, many players would have said the same thing and probably meaner than Matteo did. It was just like a very funny interaction to me. So I tweeted, so did she go to the business center or what? Because they never resolved where Isla did the interview. Yeah, because she said, fine, I'm, I'm just going to go to the business center. Right. And I was just, I was making a joke. And then somebody on Twitter found the Tennis Channel spot that she did the following morning. And she was like in the bushes <laughs> outside. That was amazing. 
that somebody was able to find that. I mean, and if, Isla responded. If you do anything in this day and age and it's public, it will be found. <laughs> There's the specter of the big two throughout the series, but they aren't able to focus on them because they've actually picked players who are kind of on the periphery right. of, you know, the spotlight of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Mateo was one of the closest to the top, like that top rung, but you, you're guessing who's going to play well. And so is it a Netflix curse or is it just Netflix choosing the wrong players? It's it's a curse. A, it's a little bit of both. No. Berrettini losing in the se- in the first round. Well, okay, tough draw. Sure, tough sure. draw. But cumulatively, all of them together, it's it's a lot. Okay, the withdrawals. But were Tomlanovic and Bedosa expected to do huge things? Bedosa did not have a good season. She played well in the lead up to this tournament. She, sure. She had to withdraw from a semifinal. I'm just saying. The the scenes in Rome with Matteo's family, very cute, entertaining. A lot of the conversations on the show feel like a little bit housewives to me. It feels like reality TV. Um, and I could be wrong, but it a lot of like the at-home conversations feel fake. Yes. Yeah. I, I felt the same And between Sakari and her mom... I don't know, it just... You have a camera in your face, like it just doesn't feel natural. They're also not used to this kind of thing as right. well. Episode 3 features Taylor Fritz and Maria Sakari. This is the last one that we'll cover on this episode, and then we'll, you know, go watch 4 and 5 and come back on the next episode and tell you about those two. It will be much, much nicer next time. But this one Maybe. is where the lies, the lies, the Liza Minnelli lies, they come <laughs> flying fast and furious. Well, this, honestly, last year at Indian Wells is what turned me off to this Netflix series because I knew for a fact they were going to misrepresent what happened. They were going to show Taylor Fritz's aborted practice session mm-hmm. on finals day because they journalists told us cameras were there. They're going to show us him getting hurt in his practice session, even though he had already sustained that injury during Rublev during the semifinals, which they did not say. Mm-hmm. They, didn't, they covered the semi, but all they showed was Rublev hitting himself. They didn't show Rafa... Struggling against Carlos Alcaraz, but getting through. They did not tell us that Rafa had a stress fracture in his rib during the final. This all adds color, but it does not tell the story that they wanted to tell about Taylor. They... Do you remember watching that tournament, that semifinal? There was so much about Fritz's behavior at that tournament that felt put on to me. Yes. There was a fall. I remember there was a fall. At one point, there was a certain kind of fraudulent-looking celebration in one of the early... Like, something just Mm. felt off to me the whole time. Then you watch this, and you're like, okay, yeah. Because the camera was cut to him on that practice court just at the moment, close up on where he allegedly injured himself in practice. Well, I don't want to go that far. I I I, believe that he was injured. I absolutely believe he was injured, but I think that that was staged. I think that that practice footage of him allegedly being injured in that moment is fake all right you're gonna have to answer for that i said allegedly (laughs) and if netflix wants to take me to court i can bring the receipts of all the other lies that they've told in this episode (laughs) and so why would i believe them with this well some of them were lies by omission uh one of them that was a lie by volition was (laughs) them saying that 
there are all these rumors swirling about Ash Barty's retirement. That is one of the biggest no, lies. I've never been shocked by anything more in my tennis life than when I was doing groceries and putting them in the car and saw that news. Like, I was shook. Mm. No, that's, that's a retcon. There was nothing that prepared me for that moment. Other things to note from this episode. Paul Anacone had a prominent role in this episode. He's the coach of Taylor Fritz, a legendary coach mm-hmm. of Pete Sampras and later Roger Federer. I thought a lot of his coaching advice was interesting to hear. I didn't find Taylor particularly compelling. I no. didn't as a, as the subject of an episode, I didn't really I didn't really buy it. Sakari was a lot more interesting. Very much so. Fiery. Uh, there's the relationship with her and Tom, her coach, Tom Hill, who she says is her best friend. The first time we see her, she tells the camera, I want to be number one in the world. And I saw a lot of people being really nasty to her on the internet mm-hmm. because of that statement. You're always going to get this, but do you want somebody to sit there and say, I'd love to be number 16 in the world and I'll be totally happy with that. Oh, like, what do you want from these players? Yeah. We got... Actual human, real emotion in this segment. Mm-hmm. We got to hear her and her coach talk about the fact that she's basically the semifinal queen on the WTA. Right. It's something we've talked about on this episode a lot, and that her making the final in Indian Wells was hopefully breaking through. Mm-hmm. Those were the stakes for her. They were presented properly. Nothing needed to be concocted, and we we got raw emotion from her. And stakes from the coach as well. You know, like it was compelling viewing. She tells us that she retired, in effect, for like four days. (laughs) She She said after that uh, last... She she called Tom and said, I don't want to play anymore. She was on an island in Greece and she had retired. She said, I'm retiring, I'm done. And then four days later, she said, okay, I'm ready to train again. (laughs) And so we, they refer to this as her coming out of retirement. (laughs) Overall, though, the episodes so far at least, so far, feel like you have all these players you could have covered. And for whatever reason, maybe they said no, maybe you didn't predict correctly who would break out, but you covered an entire season without following Carlos Alcaraz and Iga Sviantec, which is absolutely wild. You could call it bad luck. Um, Iga was a major winner going into 2022, but there wasn't really an indication that she would dominate like this. Carlos, uh, there was indication that he was quickly rising, but again, not like this. But how can you cover this year without following Rafa, Nova, Carlos, Iga? Well, they wanted an American Mm -hmm. angle, specifically with Fritz and then Tiafo, especially after the U.S. Open last year. We'll see what Francis gives in the second batch. Mm -hmm. But with Taylor Fritz, it was like, well, who's the top American man right now? And they even asked him that. (laughs) <laughs> and he had to say, right? well, it feels kind of arrogant, but it's right. me. But that's just kind of feels like that's how they went about doing this. We need an American man. Who is it? Well, it's going to be him. And you wrote... <laughs> I think I this was, was in a, in a was private very, DM. I was very proud of this. I think this was in a, in a DM with somebody else. You said, it's like if they made this series in the 90s, they would have skipped over Monica Seles and filmed Todd Martin instead. Wow. I really, I mean, no disrespect to Mr. Martin at all. Oh. Uh, but you're but referencing. Think of, just the, think about it. The blandness, the unseasoned I, nature of I Taylor never, Fritz's. I never said that. Portrayal. Let, let the people 
let the people interpret. Okay. You know, they're adults, most of them. I'm going to say that outside, the only one that I would not recommend watching is episode one. But still, it wasn't as abhorrent as I expected it to be. <laughs> no, there's def- like there are definitely gems from episode two and three. Mm. And I hear that four and five gets even better. So, you know, we'll see. We'll get back to you with that. We'll probably be back early next week to record, you know, week one, part two, Mm -hmm. the rest of the Australian Open, the rest of Breakpoint, those further two episodes. This episode was less about the draws and who's still in the tournament and how they got there and what's to come. That'll be the Monday night episode. Mm -hmm. This was a much more, we got a bunch of shit to talk about. We're just going to put it all out there. Hopefully some of it is entertaining to you all. Again, if you are still interested in supporting the show, you can do so through our GoFundMe, which is still open. You can find that and everything BodyServe related at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. And you can support us through a review, which costs no money. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate reviews. It helps uh, expand the scope and the reach of the podcast. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you very much.